1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee, also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Florence, which is pretty close to, uh, to Michigan which I had no idea Florence was a place that existed um, but it's up on the up near the, the up, up near the UP uh, right around the state line uh, shout out to Mark who's repping Lockdown Bucks all the way up there um, hopefully it's warm I don't know uh, <laughs> Is pretty far up there. I'm trying to figure out how long it would even take me to get up there. I don't do nearly enough appearances at our uh, affiliate up there in ESPN Florence, but I guess that just means I'm lazy and I need to get up there a little bit more often.
0: A lot of, a lot of bucks talk at the ESPN Florence affiliate.
1: Oh, that's, that's about it. Um, so <laughs> well, <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the suggestion. Keep sending in small towns. I, honestly, Frank, I, I was kind of thinking about this. I feel like I'm trying to figure out what grade we did, like Wisconsin geography in school. I think it was like sixth grade, somewhere in mi- in the middle school area. And as I'm going through this and I'm looking up like small towns, I'm being reminded that like, oh, this is a place in blank county. And I was like, oh, yeah, at one point I needed to memorize all of those counties and now i don't know any of them and i was like man this is a nice little refresher i
0: i honestly don't remember if did i ever take wisconsin gr i mean i I don't know if I ever really took an, a proper Wisconsin geography class growing I don't up.
1: know if it was like a class, but I do know in like a social studies course, like yeah. we did like maybe like a month
0: or... Yeah, Wisconsin history. I definitely, yeah. we definitely took like Wisconsin history. And that might have been like in, geez, elementary school or middle school. I don't I know. know.
1: I was trying to figure out when it was, but I'm definitely having flashbacks as I look up and see that Florence, I was actually in Florence County, which is up there by the UP. Who knew? I had no idea.
0: shout out to uh shout out to the mequon thiensville school district for at some point giving me some type of uh education on on these but i have to say i also have to admit like especially because i i moved out of state when i was 18 and i didn't really like i mean we went up north a few times when i was growing up but like i know so many city names but then to actually like figure out like where those cities are i have no idea like if you ask me to like point out like where Oconomowoc was on a map I think it's like west of Milwaukee somewhere but like I don't it is. I don't north I don't know something. like I I guess I'd look for a lake and something but you know yeah I, anything north I, of say.
1: like Oshkosh I don't know No I, yeah
0: know. I like I know I know things along 43 yep and I know where Madison is yep. and that's pretty much it otherwise I'm pretty Pretty embarrassing, um, just because I don't like break. south to Beloit because I yeah, want... I know where Beloit is. I know where Beloit is. Yeah,
1: so like that triangle
0: 4394 Yeah, forty three ninety four yeah. basically. Yeah, all the way up to uh, Green Bay basically, and then everything else. You know, I know where Lacrosse is. I think I sort of know where Eau Claire is, but other than that, I'm I'm pretty useless. Uh, embarrassed to say.
1: No, I, you don't need to be embarrassed about it because I'm there too. So we can be embarrassed about this together, or we can just embrace it. Either way. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> that's Frank Madden, uh, who is my co-host and my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com. Dot com and Frank, uh, kind of a a summer potpourri today as we go through a bunch of other kind of. I mean, things that are bucks related but then also kind of NBA-related. And uh, then we're going to go through what I did on the uh, Twitter fake draft that we put together with some of the other members of NBA Twitter. Um, that's Sarah Tricka at Blazers by Sagar, B-L-A-Z-E-R-S-B-Y-S-A-G-A-R, put together for everyone. Um, He was the commissioner and then got a bunch of other people. And I made some trades in it, and I think it's interesting... Offseason conversation because I, I think it those moves will kind of help uh prime us for what to expect this offseason and what like the Bucks can actually do, um, and maybe what the Bucks should be looking for. So we'll do that in the second half, but uh, first, a kind of wrap around of all the different news that happened, uh, the first one. Joe Prunty got hired today. A new job for Joe Prunty. He is not going to be head coach. He will be the assistant coach in Phoenix uh, for Igor Kokoskov. Kokoskov?
0: Kokoskov?
1: Kokoskov. Kokoskov. I'm still not 100% sure on that one. I should learn it at some point, but now is not the time. Uh, So he is going to be the lead assistant there in Phoenix. And uh, to me, I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if Joe will will get another head coaching uh, opportunity during his time as an NBA coach. Uh, maybe he will. And, again, I think he could kind of always use this this time in Milwaukee. I mean, they did go to the playoffs. They put together, I mean, a strong series against the Boston Celtics. They ended the season with a winning record under Joe Prunty. Um, I, I think there's a, a number of things that – from a purely just resume based kind of thing. I think you could point to and say, I know what I'm doing if I'm in charge of a team. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of where his career goes from here. But for now he goes to Phoenix where he'll be an assistant.
0: Yeah. And, um, I, I, I'm not surprised. Right. I think, uh, Igor I'm trying to confirm if they overlapped, um, at all. And I'm not sure if they did actually in any of their stops, Joe Prunty. um, it looked like they may have Joe Prenti was in Cleveland from 2010 to 2013, and then Igor Kokoskov was in Cleveland for one year, the 2013-14. So I don't think they actually technically overlap there. Um, I could be wrong. Someone may correct me if I uh, if I missed a uh, a window there. But um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the coaching fraternity is uh, you know uh, doesn't necessarily only include people who, who work together, and, and both Joe Prenti and uh, Igor. Uh, did have long assist uh, long careers as assistants um Igor starting in 2000 uh with the Clippers um and pretty much continuously thereafter um in the NBA whereas uh, Joe from 2002 on with the Spurs so both guys have been kind of lifelong assistants and um, obviously if you're a new head coach it makes sense that you want a guy who has a bit more experience so you know good luck to Joe um I, I think Gary Wolf's claims that Joe Prenti would have gotten one of these head coaching jobs. Uh, I still do not believe. And uh, again, I, I don't think that Joe Prenti was held hostage by the Milwaukee bucks. Uh, and I wish him the best though. Um, and I'm not surprised he has not interviewed for the Detroit job or what's the, uh, is there any are there any other open jobs right now in, in the league? Cause Orlando is now filled with Steve. Clifford. Toronto, Toronto's Yeah. Tor- by the way, so, okay, I, I wanted to talk more about the Detroit job because, you know, after the Bucks, just obviously laughable hirings previously, it's nice to be able to kick, kick dirt on another franchise for a change. Yeah, um,
1: we're the dirt kickers now.
0: We're kicking dirt. Um, <laughs> and, and so, again, Detroit – got rid of Sam Van Gundy who was their president of basketball operations and their coach that was correct a few a few days like end of last week they got rid of Jeff Bowers who was the, the GM but you know he wasn't the head of basketball operations because he was basically you know basically the, the day-to-day guy working for Sam Van Gundy but it took them like a few weeks before they finally got rid of Jeff Bowers they obviously didn't have neither a coach nor a GM but they have brought in this like three-headed monster of like washed up dudes who were once in the NBA and like Years ago, but nobody would hire for a GM job in theory, which is what Ed Stefanski, Bernie Bickerstaff and Jim (laughs) Lynham. And now those guys are trying to hire a coach before they get a GM. Like what, what? Like, I mean, what a weird, (laughs) it's so weird. I don't understand it at all. And I don't, I, the, the thing that makes me like, that seems even crazier is that, it doesn't seem like people are, like, wildly, like, calling them out for this. but Maybe that's just because, like, nobody cares about the Detroit Pistons anymore, I guess, because they're, like, just not that interesting of a roster. But um, just so strange. Like, why wouldn't you hire somebody to lead your basketball operations and have that go guy go hire your coach rather than go hire a coach and then you, like hope that you hire somebody to actually do the day-to-day front office stuff and you hope that that person is cool with the coach. Like, I I don't know. Just so bizarre. And if, if that wasn't bizarre enough, they've had, like, Dwayne Casey. Hey, that would be a good hire for them, right? Yeah. But then also, Jason Kidd, come on down. I mean, literally, like, the Pistons are just, like, their pictures are just trying to get me to, like, laugh at them right now. And I – I mean, if they hire, like, Casey, then that'll be kind of snatching something respectable from the jaws of something hilariously terrible. But, um, I, yeah, I just – I don't know. The Detroit Pistons, WTF. And the the Toronto Raptors also a little bit WTF because, I mean, wasn't the whole thesis like, oh, Masai wasn't going to fire Dwayne Casey without a plan? okay it's a slow moving what's,
1: plan if it's a plan
0: what's what's Masai's plan was he gonna i mean is he gonna finally like i mean I, have have we even heard much news in the last week or two i don't know it just seems like they kind of there was a talk about them potentially promoting nick nurse or jerry stackhouse or going for mike budenholzer and then when obviously budenholzer comes to milwaukee then kind of i don't know crickets from toronto am i missing something here what what the hell is going on eric why are <laughs> why is the rest of the league like doing stupid things
1: well, also in Detroit, don't forget about Kenny the Jet Smith uh, being one of the people interviewed for the position. Which, again, maybe that'll work out. Like Steve Kerr had some time as a as a, a TV analyst before becoming a head coach, but also he had some time as a general manager, and I think that makes a little bit more sense than than Kenny Smith, but. They are just doing weird stuff, and again, I think some of the the X's and O's folks that I follow really like John Beeline, who's their other like it's Beeline and Casey in Detroit. Which, I mean, I think overall people would, I think, find that a pretty agreeable hire either one of those. Um, but at the same time, why are you, <laughs> why hire a, a coach before a general manager and picking who's going to be in charge or? Maybe this triumvirate of whatever you want to call those uh, those older men are, uh, unless they're going to be the people leading you into the future. Like it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And in Toronto, I I'm trying to think of the last thing I heard about their their position. It was from what I can remember, it was, hey, they are strong in the pursuit of Mike Boonholzer, but then. Well, it turns out they actually didn't make an offer. And actually, they had a meeting with him and let him go. And then the Bucks were able to sign him. So I don't know how how serious it, it really is. And uh, I think it's just going to be kind of I, Like That situation, it just felt like if you were going to fire Dwayne Casey, it, to me, it, Jerry Stackhouse or Nick Nurse... I feel like would have been hired in the next week. Like if, if you were a hundred percent in, in your conviction that Dwayne Casey is no longer your coach, isn't the guy, it feels like one of those two guys should have been, I don't want to say an easy hire, but pretty quickly, uh, pretty quickly moved upon and you know, you get them in the position. So I just weird stuff. I agree. I, and again it, it does feel okay for me uh to talk about it because it isn't the bucks doing the weird stuff and being uh the i don't want to say laughing stock but certainly the uh side-eyed uh team and franchise of the summer and i don't just uh, just kind of a weird summer i think
0: yeah i was just looking at raptorshq.com our SB nation brothers over there and sisters and uh looks like the latest interviews were um Ettore Messina and Aimei Udoka interviewed 10 days ago so kind of you know I mean and again I mean it's not to say that taking a while means you're going to get a bad result right I mean yeah. if they end up getting Messina I mean Messina could be a better head coach than Bootnoser. Yeah. sure that's possible I, I you know again I don't I won't dare to claim any kind of you know real insight as to which one of those guys is ultimately going to be the better NBA coach or the better coach for that situation. But, um, it looks here that, uh, Nick nurse still considered the leading in-house candidate, but I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm not really sure what sort of the, the thinking is in, in Toronto. Um, but uh, again, obviously, the, I think part of the problem, the issue too, was probably they wanted to, to give Dwayne Casey a chance to go find another job, so that might have also been a reason why they kind of moved quickly. And, and again, maybe moving without having a clear kind of plan on what they were going to do next. But um, but yeah, I think certainly I trust Masai Ujiri to make a better decision than you know Ed Stefanski yeah. in Detroit, and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Ed Stefanski got a three year contract to be like a special advisor to That is correct. Tom Gores or you know, ownership or whatever, um, which it's just so strange. I mean, granted, the Bucks have had Rod Thorne just sort of hanging around doing whatever it is Rod Thorne does and um, again, I I think that's just an example of the Bucks having too many cooks in the kitchen, but um, you know, so uh, I'm not going to sit here and act like the Bucks are immune to that um, but uh, to start with that it just, uh, just seems really weird in Detroit I, I don't know what Detroit is doing maybe they get to a good result but um, yeah just very very strange what's happening in Detroit anyway I've distracted from uh, from maybe more direct Bucks related things but uh, yeah I at least have made me feel a little bit better by the Detroit Pistons and also just look at their roster that also makes me feel better because let's be honest who, like this is their team basically right like has to be Drummond, Drummond reggie jackson and blake griffin like all right man, they could make they could make the playoffs but i don't know how much further good luck
1: yeah. uh, that would be all i could really say um up next the Atlanta Hawks hired Greg Foster as an assistant coach. You may remember him as the Bucks' assistant, and you also may remember him from his halftime interviews where he said, You got it. And he's got a new job in Atlanta. So, again, just some kind of connected to the Bucks news, um, but not huge stuff there. Um, the other thing uh, at in the middle end of last week, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Chris Vivlamore reported that Charles Lee uh, has signed on to become an assistant in Milwaukee, um, so that is the first of the assistants, and again, we're still waiting on hearing the the whole staff, but as we talked about last week, I can't remember, did we talk about it, or maybe I just talked about it? Um Lee was one of the two coaches seen in Milwaukee um, when Mike Budenholzer threw out the first pitch at the Brewers game uh, on the same day that his introductory press conference occurred. Uh, So Lee was there, and then also shooting coach Ben Sullivan was there. Um, So, again, connecting dots recklessly, but maybe not all that recklessly. Um, I would assume Ben Sullivan will be there as well. Um, And then, you know, you just have to figure out – Uh, Darvin Hamm was his lead assistant. You'd assume that he makes a trip. And then, uh, Taylor Jenkins was the other assistant, uh, that, you know, could possibly be coming to Milwaukee as well. So we'll have to see exactly, uh, where all of those, all of those folks land. And if they do land in Milwaukee, I think it, it seems safe to, to assume that they will, but I would assume there's probably one or two other people on that staff and, uh, we'll have to see if it's new people or, if um, I mean like Vin Baker ended up being an assistant coach here by the end of his time uh, or by the end of this season. And then obviously Sean Sweeney was still around. Uh, so I think Sweeney would probably be um, thinking through the Bucks coaches like Sweeney uh, Brohammer. Is, is that how you say that we say it? I think um, so. Uh, Josh Brohammer. And I think other than that, like that would be about Stacy Ogman um so and his suits no we're not doing that again frank i will not be a part of uh plastic man slander for a second time so we will not do that Uh, those suits are
0: slander man (laughs) stacy you got you just just treat yourself man get a get a nice custom suit you know it just looks like the i just i just always think of the uh You've seen that gif of um, David Byrne from The Talking Heads wearing, like, the weirdly enormous suit? (laughs) Yes. That's just what it reminds me of. (laughs) I'll I'll have to tweet that out at some point if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. But, but yeah,
1: we'll see. Uh, So one of his assistants has been hired in Milwaukee, or officially signed, I should say, and then uh, we'll see if the rest all come along. But, again, just kind of some... Coaching potpourri with assistants and people moving around. Um, any takeaways, thoughts other than well, I guess we're gonna wait some more, huh?
0: <laughs> I'm looking at the unanimated gif of the David Byrne suit as as we discuss this. So I'm just laughing, um, but uh, yeah, I, I have. The, I think the only question is, you know, is is you know uh, a Sean swing in particular going to actually survive the uh, the Jason Kidd era, which which would be interesting, let's just say. So, um, and I guess he'll he'll owe he'll owe a, a strong debt of gratitude to Kumbo if he does, presumably. So, um, we'll see. I, I don't I don't know if we need to speculate wildly anymore. I
1: will not. I've done my wild speculation in assuming an assistant coach will also be in Milwaukee because he was, well, already documented in Milwaukee. Um, All right, let's move on to the second part of the podcast where I want to talk a little bit about, um, again, it's the hashtag 2018 NBA fake draft. Uh, Sagar Trika put it together. Uh, He is a Blazers blogger and asked if I'd participate in Be the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks, Um, so you know a a big responsibility for me. Even if it's a fake responsibility, one that I took very seriously. And you may know that the Milwaukee Bucks don't really have a ton of a ton of wiggle room this summer. There's not a whole lot that, that. the bucks can really do and unfortunately for this exercise i was handcuffed to an even further extent uh, because i was not allowed to do a sign and trade so i could not do anything with jabari parker because i i couldn't say oh he was going to sign this or he is going to sign that and then put together any deals with that because it would be unfair to assume that he had signed uh with the bucks he would not take the qualifying offer he would sign at a certain number like That just wouldn't be fair, and also it would turn into a mess because then all 32 teams would be doing that. And, oh, no, Melo would opt out. Yeah, no, he would – yeah, I I think he'd opt out, so I think we'll we'll be fine. So, um, And I will say this. I think the exercise could have been everyone playing the game very realistically. Um, And everyone could have, you know, tried to act as though they believe the general manager that could act, or they could live out the wildest fantasies that they have with their team, and that's very much how it played out. Which, again, wasn't a huge surprise to me because in an exercise like this, like why wouldn't you try to do something fun and uh, you know kind of push everything to its theoretical limit? Uh, So it ended up being just a, a crazy trade centric exercise with everyone moving everything all over the place and a huge trade after huge trade, which shouldn't be much of a surprise if you think about the way uh, bloggers write about things and that we recklessly speculate on this podcast. Um, I didn't think it was much of a surprise. So I will, uh, you know, we'll kind of go through this and I made three moves. And I will kind of. You shot your shot.
0: You shot your shot, my friend.
1: I did. Um, so I will. Uh, I'll kind of break down all of those. Uh, all those moves. So the first one, and I guess what I'll do is I'll lay it out for you, Frank, and then you can kind of think about it. So thinking about this, I'm in charge of the Bucks on draft night, so that means I have the 17th pick, and that is it. Um, I, I can make any moves with my roster for anything else, and picks could be included or not be included. Um, I was just in charge of the Bucks roster on draft night, so um, you can think about everyone else and kind of how they did that, and I'm sure we'll put an article out at some point um, about kind of the exercise. So the first move that I made before making a pick at number 17, it was... <laughs> The 20th trade of the exercise uh, that happened sometime around the 8th pick of the draft, um, I traded Eric Bledsoe, Tony Snell, Matthew Della and in number 17 to the Charlotte Hornets for Kemble Walker, Nikola Batum, and Frank Kaminsky. Frank, your immediate reaction to my trade.
0: So I, I think you are obviously not the first person to try to figure out a way to get Kemba Walker to Milwaukee, um, and I, I think this was interesting because I mean I really had to go to my cap spreadsheet to figure out what the kind of long run salary ramifications for this were because you know I think you look at sort of the ins and outs and you say okay you know Eric Bledsoe for for Walker. Certainly, for most bucks, I mean, they're basically the same age. They're both expiring contracts. You know, I think most bucks tend to say it's an upgrade just because of the shooting and um, you know pick and roll ability that Kemba has, and just sort of the upgrade he has over Bledsoe. And obviously, the the playoff series that Bledsoe's coming off of didn't exactly leave people with a good taste in their mouths either. Um, and then you know, kind of the the rest of it is um, you know I think you could, I, I would look at it sort of as, as like kind of a couple separate deals. Now, obviously, I, I don't think. In practice, this isn't necessarily the way to think about it, but at least in terms of like what the impact is on the Bucks, it's almost like you give up Bledsoe 17 for Kemba, and then the rest of it is sort of like a big salary swap with yep. Charlotte effectively getting additional compensation because Nicola Batum um, is is owed more money long-term than than all these other guys combined. Um, and, and Frank Kaminsky is kind of, a, I don't know, I guess sort of a throw-in sweetener, I guess, um, from the Charlotte side, yeah. So, um, Batum, I mean, Batum is just owed a ton of money, right? And, and this is really <laughs> the, insane. Yes. And this is really the 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 fundamental, you know, I think issue. And and this is why I would say, you know, when I kind of do my just cap arithmetic, I would say, yeah, I think this is too much for, for me to do it because I think two, th- two, two reasons why I'd say, eh, I don't think I could get behind this. And and basically, it's it's too full. So Batum over the next three years, twenty four million in eighteen nineteen, almost twenty six million in nineteen twenty, and then a player option for twenty seven million in twenty twenty one. Which somebody tells me he's going to pick up. And granted, he's only going to be thirty one that year. So I mean, it feels like he's been around forever. um, But he came into the league I think at nineteen. So um, you know, he's not as old as as you might think. Um, One issue is some injuries I think have slowed him down during the last couple of years. He was flat out
1: terrible last year.
0: and, And even by that standard. I mean, he was still reasonably productive for yeah. having, you know, what you could say it was a bad year. His true shooting percentage has actually been down. Actually, been below average four straight years. Um, but has been was down, you know, clearly below average the last couple of years, around 52, 53 percent. Um, and you know, his scoring has has kind of dipped as as well. But, again, he's kind of a weird player because he obviously brings some defensive versatility, and you look at him in his, you know, just, like guess, statistical profile, and he's just interesting because, you know, he's – you don't think of him as, like, a great passer, but – I mean, in each of his three seasons in Charlotte, he's averaged between five and six assists per game. Yeah. Um, last year was the first year in a couple of years that he was below six rebounds a game. He averaged only four point eight. Um, but you know, he's a guy who you know I've always sort of thought of as like a shooter, as a guy who could shoot off the catch. And oftentimes, I feel like especially against the Bucks, it just seemed like he would hit shots that were like yep. not not easy shots. But then you look at his his shooting in the last three years in Charlotte. 33.3, 33.6% last year, 33.3% the year before, 34.8% the year before that. And so and he really has not shot well those three years in Charlotte. And even the last year in Portland, 32.4%. So the previous three years, he was between 36 and 39%. But I mean, this is going back, you know, five years that you have to go back to find him really shooting well from the perimeter. And he's also been a guy who, Has you know not shot a ton of free throws. Has not shot a great percentage overall. And again, a lot of that's because he does take a lot of threes. So he's not you know really really inefficient. But um, certainly from a scoring perspective, he does leave something to be desired. And you know again, like he he's kind of become a guy that you worry. Like man, is he kind of falling off a cliff as he reaches as he gets closer to his thirtieth birthday? He'll turn thirty in December of next season. So it's a big risk to take on that kind of long-term salary and you, know, you look at the possibility that in the 1920 season um again let's just, you know and then here's the other thing okay Kemba's a, Kemba's an expiring contract you know if Kemba walks it's i mean it's a complete disaster right that's the big that's to me the biggest the biggest risk of all this so if you make this trade under the assumption that you know Kemba is going to be interested in wanting to resign then i mean I, I think that's a kind of a starting point which obviously you as a fake gm can't, can't do oh i got no i verify. got that assurance no I you got it you got it okay you yeah. got it okay yeah. good um <laughs> is, isn't uh isn't jeff schwartz his agent i'm pretty sure he is so you must have uh, dialed up uh, you, you you must have sent a text to, to jkid uh for jeff schwartz's number and then you got jeff schwartz to, to say that that for, our, for your fake fake little draft uh you do it but um but yeah anyway so Hypothetically though, 1920 season, let's just think through what some of these numbers might be. So Giannis, 26 million, right? Underpaid. Kemba, we were talking about this before the pod. What is Kemba gonna make? His max is gonna be over 30. Is he gonna make 30 million a year? 25 million? I mean, let's it's gotta gotta be somewhere between there, right? Yeah. Let's so let's say let's say 30 million. Let's say he gets a 30 million dollar contract per year. Again, he's going to be, you know, uh, I think 30 that season. So, I mean, he's not a spring chicken either. Um, so that puts you at $56 million just between Giannis and Kemba. Chris Middleton is going to be a, f- a free agent that summer. You'll have bird rights on him. But, I mean, even if you charitably get him for $20 million a year, which, again, might be charitable, um, that puts you at, you know, let's say $76 million for – for three players and we haven't even gotten to Batum who puts you with that 25, 26 million dollar salary puts you over a hundred for just those four guys. And again, luxury tax probably in the ballpark of, I think I've seen like 131 million or something that year. But you know, basically you've got four guys making over a hundred million and you know, you still have John Henson as an expiring salary that year, around $10 million. Um, you know, you still have, um, let's see, Thonmaker is in the last year of his rookie deal at three point six, And you'd have to figure out what you were going to do with Malcolm Brogdon as well. So, you know, again, like, it becomes really tight to construct, I think, a full roster uh, under the luxury tax that year. And, you know, it's, it's difficult, right? I mean, it, it, Batum is sort of the tax that you have to eat. To make this deal work and you do ship out over 20 million a year in salary for Tony Snell and Matthew Delvedova so you know I mean that's I guess you could say that that's that's not a that, that makes it a little bit more palatable but again like how much more are you you know are you willing to pay an extra five million a year to get one a tomb rather than a Tony Snell and a Matthew Delvedova who I don't know I mean is is that a is that a win? like like if you were offered Nickel Batum for for Tony Snell and Matthew Vadova like no. I wouldn't take Never I wouldn't take, a million yeah. years no. I wouldn't take that trade right just because if nothing else because you know Snell has a player option in twenty twenty one when uh, Batum does but uh Dellie is expiring the year previous so just from a total kind of or sorry Dellie's two years previous right he's uh, he's going to be expiring um no no I'm no. sorry not next yeah. year two years yeah nineteen twenty sorry, sorry I was just had to some stuff here so I could just see how the stuff added up. But uh, but yeah, so it's basically like one of these things where you're really rolling the dice on that sort of Giannis, Middleton, Kemba, and I guess I'd say Batum just because he's making a ton of money. Um, but like that core, you could still throw Thrawn in there as well. Henson would still be around. Um, you might be able to keep Brogdon as well. Uh and again, I'm keeping
1: I'm, Brogdon. We're going to the tax.
0: Okay, so Again, I mean, you could win a ton of games probably with that group, but this is sort of the hard part of being, of like thinking about what what do the Bucks look like over these next few years, right? Because, yep. you know, we haven't even talked about Jabari Parker. Obviously, I mean, baked into all this, I'm assuming you're not keeping Jabari Parker. That is correct. Um, and I don't, I don't know, right? I mean, I, I really don't know how all these pieces would kind of fit together. I think if you were going to construct a trade for Kemba. I think what you were alluding to, what you weren't allowed to do in this in this mock draft just because of the, the restricted free agent stuff, um, I think really what you would want to talk, look into is could you somehow do a deal that involves a sign-and-trade of Jabari and like so let's say Bledsoe or something like that for um, for Kemba and I mean, I don't know, if you have to make salaries match, maybe you throw in like MKG or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, like maybe something like that, right? So, the know, goal if, would
1: definitely not would be to not take on the nickel of a tomb contract. That would right, be the goal. Right, like, don't right. ever in a million years take that contract on,
0: right? Um, and obviously, there's no indication the Hornets are desperate to trade Kemba at this point. Um, but who knows what the Hornets are willing to do, right? I mean, they just brought in James Borrego as their head coach. Where they sort of are headed is, is kind of unclear, they have just sort of a weird roster that, you know, is solid, but obviously does have a pretty defined ceiling, you'd say, at this point. So um, so yeah, it's it's a weird uh, it's a weird it's a weird trade to look at. And and again, I would say no, just because I think it does sort of just kinda of, cause that Batum trade just kinda of locks you in a little bit much. But by the same token, I, I don't know how you get Kemba Walker otherwise, right? Like if, if Kemba is the best available point guard to pair with Giannis for the next few years, um then then I get the appeal. Um, but that's one of the really hard parts, right, is, is trying to find guys who are going to definitely help Giannis win games in the short term while also acknowledging that Giannis is 23 years old and most of the guys who are proven are either older or if they're younger, they're, they're just not available. So, um, so it's, it's definitely just a tough spot to try to figure out how you kind of proceed. And again, like, yeah, your best option is, you go draft the guy who's going to be a, a star in three years, but again, finding that guy, right? That's that's the hard part.
1: Yeah, for me, essentially how I approached this exercise was I wanted to unlock Giannis as the role man without giving up Chris Middleton, which is, I will tell you, quite difficult because if you want to unlock Giannis as a role man, that means you need a guard that can shoot threes off the dribble right like that's essentially the way that you do it you need that's why we always say Steph Curry is the ideal person to pair with Giannis and that's why I think there are so many fake Kemba Walker trades and that's why you're always kind of thinking about that and ultimately kind of what I did was I with the help of our good friend Dean Maniat who's been doing if you've been following him throughout the soft season he's been doing fake trades throughout the soft season and essentially I was like okay let's find a list of point guards uh that can shoot the three off the dribble and are very good on pull-up threes because that is the one skill I want for my point guard like I'm tired of watching Giannis Bledsoe pick and roll and everyone going to Giannis and just laying 10 feet off Bledsoe and saying okay man whatever you want to shoot it that's cool Like, Giannis just isn't going to touch the ball. And I need to find a way to create that on a wing and i refuse to give up chris middleton because that's gonna be the first thing that you ask because when you look at the point guards that can do that you look at even some of the two guys that can do that in this league they are going to ask for chris middleton in return because why wouldn't they uh so I, I started i think dj augustine was the first one that i tried to get who's i think someone that people rarely think about because well he's dj augustine um but also he's really good off the dribble uh as a three-point shooter and again and that is something that you don't really you, you you're not putting dj augustine at the top of that list but he is someone that can really do that and you may remember the bucks going underneath a number of screens against the orlando magic specifically dj augustine and him hitting a bunch of those so like i'm not going to say that there isn't cheap options out there um but as i talked with the general manager of the orlando magic uh the Bucks and the Magic aren't uh, a great trade fit, I would say. Uh, if you look at some of the contracts they have and some of the contracts that the Bucks have, it was kind of difficult to do. So I moved on to Kemba Walker. And as you mentioned...
0: By, by the way, you know you're desperate for off dribble shooting when DJ Augustine is a guy you immediately think of. He's
1: good at it. I'll just tell you that, Frank. <laughs> I will tell you... That, what does is,
0: what is he have? Is he owed like $7 million a year for... Yeah, he's pretty cheap. The next two... The next... Two, well... I mean, he's not gonna. You're not gonna start him, though, right? I mean, that's like oh, a yeah. backup.
1: No, I'm starting him.
0: Oh Jesus, man! All right, I'm just gonna no. let you go. <laughs> I'm go tell- ahead. Look just up the numbers, tired. Frank.
1: Look up the numbers. Ask Dean for the numbers. <laughs> He'll tell you the numbers and why it would be a good fit. All right. So, uh, obviously, the first move in a Kemba Walker trade is Jabari. Um, I felt, I felt a, a bit. Uh, I felt like I was put at a disadvantage in this exercise because that's like the one chip I have to play. Like that, That is the largest chip that I have to play this offseason is a Jabari Parker sign-and-trade. And again, sign-and-trades aren't always going to be the most productive thing. Um, but I th- I felt like in this exercise, if someone was excited about Jabari Parker, I could actually you know, find a way to get a move for him and hopefully get good value for him. So that would have been the goal originally with Charlotte was, like you said, don't take on the Batum contract, Bledsoe, Parker, 17, um, and see where that gets me. And I think I could have found something solid enough. Or even if I was just trading Jabari Parker, period, um, maybe I could find that point guard, even if it wasn't a great one, um, just someone that could do that uh, a little bit with Giannis and be a a larger threat in the pick-and-roll situation. Maybe I could use Jabari Parker to get that. So I couldn't do that. Uh, We talked through this with Charlotte, and then um, I kind of knew that the only way I was getting Kemba Walker was – You know, trading for Batum, and essentially the way I looked at it was, I'm totally comfortable in locking in uh, point guard Middleton and Giannis. Like, if I feel very confident in those three, I think the Milwaukee Bucks can win a lot of games because I think I can find the other things that I need cheaply in some other and some other players. So to me, that was kind of the goal. And, um, I was successful in not having to give up Middleton. I absolutely, uh, I mean this, if I would have made this trade that locks in the bucks future, like that's the bucks future is it's, it would be Walker Middleton and Giannis against the world and I have to feel confident in that and I say I I would feel pretty confident in that. I think that it is a team that could contend in the Eastern Conference year over year. Um, I I think even if I do end up having a very uh top heavy roster where four or five of the guys are making 110 of the 127 or 128 or whatever it is, um that's fine. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I am a believer of there being little value in the middle of uh, the cap. The, the cap uh, spectrum let's say where as we talk about all the time there's great value in guys on rookie deals and there's great value in guys that are getting underpaid as the best players in the league um, that's where you got to find that and I think I would find that value in the players that I talked about in uh, Kemba in Giannis and in Chris I think I find that um, and Again, I'm the GM so I can do whatever I want. It's not my money, so we'll go into the tax. Like what like what the hell do I care, right? Like I'm the general manager. So um that that to me would have been totally fine if I have to go into uh the tax to keep Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like this is a, a fun exercise for the hell of it. So yeah, I'm going to pay the tax. That's cool. Um, so that was that was really my goal. And I, I think that hopefully explains my rationale behind it. And I, I don't want people to think, like, I thought this was a home run trade. Like, this is a trade that in real life I probably wouldn't do. Um, but this is an exercise that I wanted to at least make a trade um, and do something fun with my roster rather than just picking at 17 and saying, well, okay, that was cool. Um, so I did it.
0: You shot your shot. I did. Uh. What else did you do?
1: All right, so the second goal of the draft was to buy a second-round pick, which I knew was going to be very difficult because if this is an exercise, I don't know if there's anything less fun than selling A second round pick um, because I mean wouldn't you rather just make the pick but essentially what I did was target a bunch of teams that had multiple second round picks so if you are more of the lazy type like I might have been um, you don't have to do research on making a good pick multiple times in the second round Uh, so I was able to buy the 43rd pick of the draft from the Denver Nuggets uh, for 1.25 million which I thought was a steal Um, I thought that was a good deal so I, I was happy to get that, and I was more than content to pick at 43. And around 39, I got uh, I got a text from Segar that asked if I'd be interested in trade in the 43rd pick and I said well not really I need cheap players for this roster that I've constructed uh, because I am so top heavy and I did trade for Nick Batum so I need cheap players so I don't really want to give up a second rounder and he offered Caleb Swanigan and then the Blazers had some more picks so Caleb Swanigan and then whichever pick is better between the Lakers second rounder and the Timberwolves second rounder in 2019 and I accepted that trade so i got 443 Caleb Swan again and then the better of those two picks i would assume it'll be the lakers pick unless they do something uh crazy this actually uh, who knows maybe the timberwolves will do something crazy and break up there uh Big three, I don't know. Uh, I know Towns was a rumor that kind of got floated around by Windy and uh, Zach Lowe. So we'll we'll see there. But, yeah, that that was my second move. What are your thoughts on that one, Frank?
0: So Caleb Swanigan, like, did he play at all their season? I know he, it seemed like he had a really good summer league and then kind of just fell off the, the face of the earth. Yeah, he got some chances um, at
1: the start of the year and then didn't really end up taking advantage and playing a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if you didn't have, like, for instance, Henson, then it'd probably be more interesting, right, just to have, like, you know, him as, like, a third big kind of wild card. Um, Instead, he's, uh, well, I guess, I guess, yeah, given the lack of big men on the roster, he could still be that. But, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't don't really have a a strong opinion of him. He's actually, he's kind of an interesting player um, and obviously hyper productive in college. You know, how he protects kind of the modern NBA, a bit of a question, but I guess fundamentally for you is like while, you know, you get this kind of wild card former first round pick and on top of that, you just get a second round pick next year. Right. So it probably felt like eh, whatever, like you're just getting kind of a first round pick for free, which, um, you know, I can certainly see the, the appeal of, but I can't say I have a real opinion on, on Caleb Swanigan um i'm i'm still struggling with not having a real opinion of of DJ Wilson actually that's not true i have a real opinion of DJ Wilson but uh, yeah. i i wish i didn't let's say that
1: yeah and to me that was what i thought was interesting like i'm essentially Like you said, for a second-round pick, I'm buying the 26th pick of last year's draft. And, well, the 17th pick of last year's draft wasn't particularly good or exciting to anyone for a second-round pick. So I can understand why that might not be super exciting. But um, with Swanigan, I thought, you know, I think he has a little bit of passing ability. Uh, I always, uh, and you guys all hear me talk about, that decision-making spot where, uh, you know, you run a pick-and-roll and then you're in the middle of the floor. You have the four and three and you have to be able to make a pass. And I think he showed some of that ability. Uh obviously concerns about his size and, you know, he was a like a 300 plus pound dude and now he's slimmed down, but now he's 6'8", so is he a center? Is he a power forward? Like, how does this work? He pretty much has to be a power forward, but is he quick enough to be a power forward? So there's concerns, but also... Uh, the way I looked at it was, you know, I get a flyer and rather than a flyer on a rookie, I get a flyer in a second round or a second year guy who, you know, has kind of been through this already and, um, you know, might be able to contribute at the bottom end of the roster. And if not, well, then I got my second round pick next year um, and then I'll have an extra pick. So that was kind of the way I looked at that
0: one. All right. Wheeling and dealing, dealing Eric name, Eric Jr. Uh, on, <laughs> on draft night. <laughs>
1: Uh, no fake accounts, burner accounts were used in the, the completion of this exercise. I really should have, I should have been trashing the other GMs about their collars, but I did not think long enough about that or even think about trying that. So normal, uh,
0: normal collar, normal collar, find <laughs> a new angle. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, that was that. So, uh, like I said, I think the reason why it was an interesting exercise is because I think that Kemba trade is to me. What makes all of this so interesting? The Bucks are at a spot where they have to figure out what their future is, and they have limited assets to do so. And how do you try to position yourself uh, going forward and for next season?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the... LeBron James first time in Cleveland problem a little bit you know like how do you avoid becoming a prisoner to wanting to take advantage of this transcendental sort of talent transcendent talent not transcendental transcendent talent um and being just too short-sighted um but part of it obviously is a challenge I mean we joke about you know with this current Cavs team even like how hey, don't feel bad for LeBron because he pretty much picked this team or he, it's sort of like a roster that was kind of like of his own design in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, with Giannis, not to say that he obviously is exerting uh, a, a control over the roster the way LeBron has, but, um, but you know, it's one of those things It's like the the best case scenario is can you draft a 20 or 21 year old point guard who's going to be really good in three or four years? Um, and that guy can kind of grow up with the honest and they can be great for, you know, a decade. Um, Kemba Walker, Eric Bledsoe, um, anybody that pretty much, you know, you could pick out, you know, certainly I guess if you, if you could talk yourself into like a Damian Lillard type guy being available, then maybe you'd have an extra year or two of runway. But you know, all those guys are like, like, you know, getting more in that late twenties range and, um, again, that that is a little misaligned with with Giannis's own timeline, and even Chris Middleton's timeline. I mean, Chris is only still only 26, turning 27 later this year. So, um, so yeah, this is one of the fundamental rubs of uh, of trying to build a contender. Right? Is is do you trust yourself to to take gambles on younger players, on less proven players? because maybe you don't have the money or you don't have the assets to go for the proven veterans like, you know, like the Kempa or you don't want to pay that nickel Batum tax. So um, it's it's tough because I think everybody wants to win in the short term. honest wants to win in the short term. You want to show honest you're committed, but how do you not kind of fall victim to overplaying your hand? How do you not fall victim to being too short-sighted, which obviously, you know, especially when we're talking about guys who are on expiring contracts, that's obviously, you know, potentially a... a franchise I don't want to say destroying, but you know, it's a it's a major value destroying potential type move if, if you were to trade for a guy, give up assets and then have the guy leave it here
1: yeah no it's it's really tough and i mean i think or or if you
0: sign him for 120 million and he ends up you know aging poorly right like maybe maybe the guy walking is a better scenario than that but that's that's tough
1: yeah no it's really difficult and i mean i think you kind of saw it. i think the the pelicans went through it you know a year or two before the bucks did with anthony davis and how do you try to manage those assets and then they swing a big move for uh, demarcus cousins and then that doesn't work out because he tore his achilles like yeah, uh, all these questions uh, just have huge implications going forward, and you have to figure out how to balance all those things. So uh, we'll see what the Bucks do this summer. But for tonight, that is going to be it for us. Um, actually, before we leave, Yanis uh, just tweeted that he tried a corn dog for the first time. Dot dot dot. Man, God bless America. Crying emoji. Crying emoji. <laughs> Um, so, well, I mean, that's a great callback. If I'm being totally honest, like he, he understands he understands the mythology of the smoothie tweet and goes with a corn dog. You know, good, good on him. He he knows how to play the hits, and he's playing the hits.
0: You know, it's, uh He knows his catalog. He knows his audience, and uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's shooting his own shot. I'd I'd say it's probably a safer move than uh, going for Kemba Walker and, and Nikola. <laughs>
1: It probably is. All right. Uh, For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.